Good morning. Welcome to worship. We are glad that you've joined us today, and we are glad that you are here and, uh, and present for worship this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome as well. In uh, Romans 8, it says, if our God is for us, what does it say? Who could be against us? Our God is for us, so no one can be against us. Let's stand this morning, and let's begin our time of worship with this great song.
All right, good morning. So good to see all of you here today. What a great way to get us started. Mighty Fortress is our God. That's a good one. Uh, welcome to Concord. My name is Chase Stone. I'm the Associate Pastor for Education and Discipleship here at the church. And if you are new to Concord, this is your first time with us, I want to invite you to find your way back to our bookstore right out to the front welcome center there. Uh, I'd love to get to know you better after the service. Uh, we have a special gift for you as well, just a little token of our appreciation. So find your way back there after the service today so I can get to know you a little bit better. I have several announcements here, some big ones that you want to be aware of um, for your calendars and everything else going along with the, what's going on with our church life. But tonight, remember, in our evening service starts at 5.30 over in the fellowship hall will be a time of Q&A, question and answer time regarding our future building plans. We know there's a lot of questions still swirling out there about what we're planning to do and what the vote is all about. So if you have questions about that, be there at 5.30 tonight over in the fellowship hall. We're going to take a time to answer those questions. Dr. Cox will be there to answer anything that you may be concerned about. So uh, if you have anything that you're just not quite sure of, it hasn't been clarified for you, be there tonight at 5.30 and we will take care of all of that. Also, you know that our big church-wide picnic is coming up on June the 5th. That's Saturday from 10 until 4. It's just going to be a great time of food, games, fellowship. We're going to have a wonderful time with food trucks and um, snow cones, all kinds of stuff's going to be there. Games, just a time for you to come and hang out. Bring a chair with you. You can hang out with your friends and just uh, enjoy a beautiful day. Hopefully, we'll get some good weather that day. But make sure you register for this so we'll have a head count just for food's sake and that sort of thing. So we would love for you to take part on that. That's going to be at the Anderson University Athletic Complex. You can't miss it. You'll see the food truck set up and everything. So just make your way out there on Saturday. That's in two weeks. Anytime between 10 and 4. Just come when it's convenient for you. And then also remember that following Sunday, the next day, is when we'll have the vote for our future building plan in here during the morning worship as well. Bill wanted me to announce that our senior adult picnic at the Oaks is coming up on Tuesday, June the 15th. Randy Blank will be the special guest, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, if you have any questions about that or any, anything that you need to know, any clarification there, just see Pastor Bill, and he will help you out there. Um, Another big announcement, this is for everybody in our church, but just remember that immediately following this service, as soon as we wrap up in here, over in the commons area, right behind me, we're going to have a wonderful reception for Austin and Ashley Gardner. If you haven't had a chance to meet Austin and Ashley, Austin serves as our assistant media director. He's an assistant to Cole Brannon, and he's been with us now for a couple of months and is doing a wonderful job. They're recently married, recently new to our area and new to Concord, and we just want to give you an opportunity to come and meet them and greet them and welcome them here and thank them for all the hard work that they put in in our media department here. So immediately following the service, just walk over to the commons area, shake their hand, welcome them. I know they would be uh, happy to see you, and it would be a good opportunity for you to introduce yourself. I think that's all I have is in terms of announcements. So if you would, please stand with me for our scripture call to worship. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. Philippians 4, we're going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 13. says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your love today. We're grateful 
for the grace that you show us. Father, you are a mighty fortress. And I pray that we will be content in that, that we will find contentment, not in ourselves, but in you. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation we may be in right now, help us just find that contentment today, Lord. And rest easy in knowing that you are almighty, that you are in control, you are all-powerful. And Lord, you love us and you care for us and you are passionate for us. Lord, just let us help us find comfort in that today. Lord, we turn this service over to you now. Let your spirit guide us, lead us, do with it what you will, Lord. And we'll give all you, all, you all the praise and glory for it. We ask all this in the awesome and holy name of Jesus. Amen.
that as your word says, that you will be there for us, not against us, that you will hold us fast, that we can do all things through Christ. And Father, one day, as we just sang, that justice has been paid, sacrifice has been made, and one day we will see you face to face the truth that we have in that. So, Father, this morning, open our hearts. Let us feel the presence of your Spirit that is already here this morning. Father, that sometimes we just need to know and we need to hear that your presence is with us. That, God, we can shut out everything that could distract us this morning that we could come and hear your word fresh and new, that we know you speak to us through your word and the power of scripture. So Father, this morning we thank you that we can gather as a body, that we can gather as a, a, a corporate body to sing, to read, to study, to pray together. So Father, move in your house, move in your people, and we give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For 2,000 years, our Lord's disciples have given their allegiance to the eternal kingdom of God, been faithful to the word of God, endured oppression, confronted evil, and embraced the cross without regret or retreat. In April of 1521, one of them, Martin Luther, was herded into a chamber in the German city of Worms where his foes commanded him to renounce the authority of the scriptures over any other earthly power. Luther refused, and his words reverberate in our hearts to this day. I am tied by the scriptures, he cried. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen.
Thank you, choir. It's good to be back today. I appreciate Andrew preaching last week for Graduate Recognition Sunday. <clears throat> and we just have two weeks to go, um, this one and next week, and then we'll all be back together. Andrew's actually preaching the gym service right now as well. And so we're so looking forward to that first Sunday in June uh, when um, we can be here in this room uh, together. Uh, we've been slowly diminishing a lot of the online stuff that we have been doing. And so tonight will be the last um, online PM service that will be done. We'll soon be moving the Sunday night services back into this room as well. And so I just appreciate all the hard work of our pastors and media folks in this past year uh, for uh, helping us get through the pandemic and so many things we were able to put up uh, for you and to uh, keep our church together through this time. Father, bless now your word. Thank you for... Uh, the song we've heard just now, Lord, that reminds us of the firm foundation that we have in Scripture, and we pray that you would help us to, Lord, over these few messages, learn to walk and live by faith in you and your faithfulness, your character as expressed in your word, and guide us now through this message, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
A couple months ago, Christianity Today, a long-standing evangelical magazine, published an article entitled The Cohabitation Dilemma for, uh, Comes for America's Pastors. And the subject of the article was about the fact that more professing evangelicals are choosing to live together before marriage or apart from marriage. The article was exploring how pastors are learning how younger professing Christians are processing their faith when discerning between what is right and what is wrong in this area of life. And also how they're uncovering pastors are, the amount of ignorance that is there among so many regarding what the Bible actually says about this and other subjects. And what sparked the article was something that took place in the news from early 2019 when uh, actor Chris Pratt and his fiancée Catherine Schwarzenegger, who is Governor Schwarzenegger's uh, I think oldest daughter and also her mother's Maria Shriver, part of the Kennedy family, uh, they chose to move in together before marriage. They are now married, but they chose to cohabitate before they got married. And so the media at that time touted that he was, quote, a, devouted, a devout Christian or a folksy, popular evangelical. He was tied to the Hillsong movement. And um, also they said, who urged, quote, living boldly in faith. To many believers, this decision was incongruous with how a person is supposed to live boldly in faith. So this morning, we pick back up in our series entitled, The Matter of Faith, in which we're giving one Sunday to looking at certain subjects related to living out our faith. Just a brief series until we kind of all get back together. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that while we're in this body, the Scripture says we walk by faith, or live by faith, and not by sight. And so in this series, we're seeking to look at what that looks like in relationship to certain matters of life. And so this message is the fourth in this series, we have devoted messages so far to faith and marriage, faith and parenting, and then the general matter of living by faith in relationship to having eternal life, that you have eternal life only by faith in Christ. And so today I want to look at living by faith in relationship to singleness, which I told you I would come to. We'll do one other message next week and then we'll launch in a different direction. The title of this message today is Single and Living by Faith. And if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read some select, selective verses out of this chapter and try to get us through this uh, today, uh, all in one piece, as quickly as we can. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Skipping down to verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman that is engaged? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. 
What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And then verses 39 and 40. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that we have here, we believe there was a previous one before this one, he's addressing the Corinthian church, the church in the city of Corinth, and he talks about a lot of different topics that are related to Christian ethics, and in this chapter, he deals with the matters of those who are unmarried or single, virgins, widows, etc., now, much in this letter is in response to questions that they have sent to him. Perhaps he sent them a letter, and so they've sent a letter back to him, and they have questions. Actually, some of them are contending with Paul. They're arguing with Paul. And so this is a pastoral letter in which he's trying to deal with, with some of their concerns and some of the false teaching that's invaded the church. And so you can pick up on the divisions in the letter. I don't have time to do that for you, but where these people speak so, and where he's answering their questions, so if you look at chapter 7, verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about. And so you see that over and over again, now about, now about this, now about that. These are answers to questions they have written to him to answer. This is the longest chapter in the New Testament dealing with the matters of marriage and sexuality. All of these people we're going to look at, he deals with the married here as well, but all these people we're going to look at in this chapter today are ones who are living as singles in their current condition, regardless of how they got to that place. And so here and in other places, we can begin to see that the Bible has parameters by which we are to live as followers of Jesus. And so to live by faith, as we have defined it and seen over the past few weeks, is to live in trust regarding the character of God, to trust his promises, as Luther did, his directives, and his provision. That is, that God has spoken. I'm going to hear what he has to say. I'm going to trust what he has to say. And I'm going to live my life out of that, believing that this is the best way for me to live, the way that God wants me to grow to be like Christ, for me to have the best impact that I can have, for me to grow to the point Christ wants me to grow in my life. We trust him in that way. So how does this apply to the matter of singleness? Well, before I answer that question, I want to preface all of this by saying this. I know, and more importantly, the Lord knows that some of you find yourself single against your wishes, 
through a divorce you did not desire. Perhaps you were abandoned by someone, cheated on by someone. Perhaps you were physically abused and you carry some wounds and scars related to that situation in which uh, you find yourself in now related to what happens. Some of you wish to marry for the first time. Some of you wish to remarry, but it just does not seem to be working out for you to find someone else. Some of you are widowed, and you're just dealing with a lot of pain and loneliness. I talked to one of our senior adult widows day before yesterday, and she's struggling. Some of you are single, and you deal with a lot of temptation physically, and it's a recurring struggle for you in your life. Some of you live single out of certain convictions that you hold spiritually, and yet you still have to face the emotional strain of that as a result. I want to say to you that God knows and cares about every situation. If you're his child, he loves you in a particular personal way. One of the songs we talked about, he has set his heart upon us, his people that he has saved. And so if you're a believer, let me just say that he is sufficient to be your supply, your strength, your comfort in this area of life and in all areas of life. But he does care particularly about these places where we're so vulnerable. In Psalm 68, verse 5, we hear the psalmist say about God's concern for widows and orphans. He says that a father, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, and so that would be to help take care of their families, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. So this principle is here that God knows, and he cares for the vulnerable among his people and the things that we struggle with in life. But as you truly seek him, he will not let you down. He will supply every need in every way, and he'll help you live in the situations in which you find yourself and even find contentment. And that's why I asked Chase to read out of Philippians this morning, a Paul writing from prison. And he's dealing with sometimes having his physical needs met and not met as far as food, but this was applied to anything else. And Paul says, I have learned, I have learned, right? I have learned. Process, but he's learned as walking and walking by faith to be content, he says, in whatever situation I am in. Secondly, I want to say this before we get into this matter a bit today. Like in every situation, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to face or come to the point of committing ourselves to seeking to hear and obey God. I, and, and emphasize each of us, must make the decision by faith that I will trust his word is true and divine and supernatural and I'll stake my life on it. What a great song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God is. And the story of Luther saying, here I stand, I can do no other. I'm standing on the word of God. And that's a big decision that that every generation of Christians, they have to come to make and settle in their hearts and their minds, am I going to live by the word, trust the word, or not? Either in principle or by a command or in accordance with the wisdom of Scripture for my good and His glory. Christians are people who hear, believe, and obey the word. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, that if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. 
And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus says, my disciples, trust me enough to obey my word. And that is the pathway of having freedom in life. God's word is not to constrict us, but it is to give us the greatest freedom and abundance if we'll trust him and live within the directions he gives to us. Believers, believers in Jesus said a long ago that we believe these 66 books are God's written word, inspired by the Spirit of God, unique, divine, and that I, as a follower of Jesus, submit myself to this word, even as he himself did in his earthly incarnation. If we make that commitment, then all of this becomes easier to hear and easier to follow. In the end, when the voice of God conflicts with the voice of culture, and it often will, and it is increasingly doing so in this culture, we must be willing to walk that narrow path of the Lord no matter what the culture says, no matter what the culture thinks. Billy Graham had to come to that decision in his life. He was struggling with things about Scripture. He was at a place in Florida. He was already preaching he had a friend who was questioning a lot of things that eventually abandoned the faith. And Billy Graham, famous story is, went out on a, a night in the moonlight and put his Bible down on a stump and said, God, I don't understand everything in your word. I can't answer all the questions that this person is raising to me, but he knew his life had been changed by Christ, and he said, I'm going to trust your word and live out of it. It was a turning point in his life. And that's why through his whole ministry he was characterized in huge settings all over the world of standing up with absolute confidence and saying the Bible says. And by that he meant God says. God says. And so we must make that type of commitment in our lives if we're going to follow Christ. It was settled for him there. There are great reasons to believe the perfectibility and inerrancy of Scripture but like with all of God's word, you'll have to make that decision to believe. Jesus says, believe my words. Now, how then can a single person navigate this culture and live by faith as it relates to the status of being single? Well, for time's sake, I just want to focus upon three issues. This is a big shotgun blast. But I hope that it is a catalyst for you to study more deeply, to read more widely. And I'll always be willing to give you materials to read on both sides of issues, I want you to understand what you believe, why you believe it. Stand where you need to stand based upon that. So, three issues I want to look at this morning. First of all, I just want to say to those of you who are single, and I put this first because I think it's so important to hear this, for you to hear this, and that is that being single is an honorable state. Now, in this context here, Paul's dealing with people that I don't have time to get into it very much, but he, he's one of people who are trying to do away with marriage, trying to encourage people not to get married in any way. He agrees with them a little bit on something, but not for the way they're wanting, what they're wanting to do. Their view is the body doesn't matter, marriage doesn't matter, all that stuff. But in our culture, it's just the opposite. In our culture, people often go to the point culturally where we look down on singleness. We don't see it as a preferred state. But I want to say to you this morning that being single is an honorable state. In the American church, we have succumbed to cultural expectations, especially in the past that everybody should grow up, everybody should get married, have kids if possible. 
There was pressure, sometimes overt, and if not that, always subtle, that you should get married. And the question was raised, if you're not married, is something wrong with you? While most people still do get married in our culture, the New Testament never looks at singleness in that fashion as something being wrong. And even if you desire to get married and it's not ever happened for you or you were biblically divorced or widowed and you desire to get married again but you don't know if it's ever going to happen for you, trusting God in faith, listen, means that you believe, listen, you believe with all of your heart that God is sovereign in your life and over your life. He is always out for your good. And right now, in the state of being single, you are in an honorable and pleasing position before God if you're obeying Him and how you're living as a single person. I'm saying that because sometimes I think singles feel like I'm second class. That's how our culture tends to make people feel. But that's not how the Bible presents it. You're pleasing to God if you're following Him. Now in this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes that plain in a variety of ways. There seems to be some type of strain going on in their context, a pressing matter that's affecting their lives and their normal life patterns. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26, he says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now some believe Paul is talking here about the second coming, that he believes that it's near. Others believe, and I'm more here, that there was a shortage of grain in this area, which we know from historical sources that took place. Come to understand they couldn't depend upon the Roman system and the government to take care of them. Because I'm not convinced, as some are, that Paul at first thought Jesus was coming back and just around the corner and then changed his mind as time went on and Jesus didn't come back. No, I think Paul saw everything in terms of being in the last days. We're in a new era in which the kingdom is breaking into the world as people come to Christ. But he did not counsel in his writings for life to not take on certain patterns for believers. He just teaches that we live and make decisions from a particular perspective. And so he tells Christians to settle down, work hard with your hands, make money to share with other people, marry, have children, all those things. And so I I don't think the crisis here is related to Paul thinking the second coming is, is just about to happen. But they're not in ordinary times. Something is going on. And again, Paul is dealing with some false teaching in the church of saying people should not marry, not have sex. The body does not matter. And if you need to satisfy a bodily need, it doesn't matter. Just go to the prostitutes. But in response to that, even in all of these times, in response to what he is dealing with in the church, Paul is pointing out here there are normative patterns that develop for Christians. He tells husbands and wives in the first seven verses to not neglect their intimacy. He tells slaves, if they can, to get their freedom. Don't think of slavery here like chattel slavery in our country in the past, but the principles are being laid down even there for freedom to come. And he tells single people to do some things here. So while things are not normal, he's still giving some ways that they're to live their lives, and this flows out in the New Testament. So what does he teach them here? Well, first... He would say this if you're single, as we talk here about the fact that, um, that it's an honorable state. Because it's an honorable state, don't be anxious about changing your state. For all of these people, he says, now that you're in Christ, 
You don't have to worry about the categories of this world anymore and the pressure that that brings. If your status does not change, that is okay. If it does change, that is okay. But don't focus on that in your life. That is, feeling like I need to change my status to be where the culture wants me to be in my life or what people are pressuring me to do. And so Paul is saying it's not a superior state to be married. It is not a superior state to be single. Settle down, he is saying, and rest in the Lord who has called you to a particular state for the moment. And so if you look in chapter 7, verse 23, and he draws upon other aspects of things here, one being slavery. So verse 23, though, he says, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Don't sell yourself into slavery if you're not a slave. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So the idea God has called you, you belong to Christ, and now that should drive everything else. How you think about things, how you make decisions, because your central focus is to serve Him, to please Him. And so in this chapter, those who were People that had slaves. He says, you've become a slave to Christ. The person who is a slave who's come to Christ is you've been set free in Christ. Your status has changed in Christ. And your situation may change in your life. If it does, great. But if it doesn't, understand that your greater situation has changed and that you now belong to Christ. You have eternal life. Something supernatural is taking place in you. God is doing something in your life now to transform you. And so rest in that. Rest in God's plan for your life in that way. Don't be anxious about changing your state. He also says here he would prefer people to stay single like he is so they can focus on the Lord's work. That's what verses 32 through 35 are about. His point is that if you're married... Your loyalties are rightly divided. You're taking care of your mate. You're also serving God. But he says, if you're a single person, he said, I would encourage you to stay that way. Not that there's anything wrong if you get married, but you can give more of yourself and your devotion to Christ. And he says he would prefer that. He said, that's what he has done. But I want you to go back to chapter 7, verse 7. Paul says that, to stay single like that and celibate for him, he says, it's a gift. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am. That is single. But he says, each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. But he prefers that one must stay single and content in celibacy, but he knows everyone doesn't have that gift. And then he says, if you believe you should get married and you get married, that there is nothing wrong with that if done within biblical Parameters, And so down in verse 39 of chapter 7, he talks about a widow. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he says he must belong to the Lord. And in fact, in another place, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he encourages younger widows, he says they should get married. So notice in these matters here. Paul is speaking in words of counsel and in the spirit of wisdom. He isn't given a lot of commands here. Now I'm not dealing today with a matter of divorce and remarriage. That would be several sermons if we did that. But the point that is that Paul says 
Essentially, what I want you to hear here, that this is an honorable state if you're single, and you don't have to be anxious about your current state. Trust God and serve Him joyfully. That's His point centrally in this text. And so in verse 17 of chapter 7, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. In verse 19, uh, he says that uh, keeping God's commands is what counts. You know, some choose deliberately to remain single to this end. So the main point is it's okay to be single. Don't let the culture pressure you to think you need to change your status right away or there's something second class. It is not. If you feel you need to get married, it's not a sin as long as you marry within the biblical parameters that are there. Paul prefers you would stay single to serve the Lord. And some people choose to do that deliberately in their life. And I would just say if you're a single person right now, however you got to that point, maybe you've never been married, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you've widowed, I think that the question needs to be asked in all of our lives is, I'm in this state right now. What does God want for me above all? Not what does the culture say? Not what my emotions are saying at the moment. What does God want me to do? And you pray through that. And some people come to the point of saying, I believe God wants me to stay single so that I can better serve him with my life. Jesus brought this up himself in Matthew chapter 19, in verses 10 through 12, talking about eunuchs. He says, uh, the disciple said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. That is through physical uh, surgery. And then he says there are those who, listen, to, who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. The idea here is the person that says, I will remain single so that I can give myself to serving Christ more fully. And Paul says that is an honorable state, a good state. is something that you can even think about preferring in your life. Don't let the culture tell you otherwise. John Stott's been one of the biggest influences in my life. He was an Anglican pastor, scholar, one of the most influential Christians of the late 20th, early 21st century. Saved as a teenager at a private school, but John Stott made a commitment in his life that he would remain single so he could give himself more fully to the Lord. And God used him greatly. The man who led him to Christ also had chosen that for his way of living in his life. And so all of us who are ever in a single status should prayerfully take this into consideration. If I became a widow, I would have to really a widower, think about that issue in life. How do you want me to live the rest of my life? You see, the world is inordinately focused on the matters of who is married, who is single, why are you single? And like Robert, you remember Robert and Everybody Loves Raymond, his family thought something was wrong with him because he had not remarried. Learn to be at peace. Quit listening to the culture. And sometimes quit listening to some people in the church who've been in 
right? Impacted by the culture, who always own you to move on and get married, or trying to fix you up, playing matchmaker in life. I don't, I don't know if you know anybody like that, but I've met a few people who really love doing that kind of thing. So it's an honorable thing to be single. The second thing I want you to hear today, and this is probably the, the hardest thing that, that has to be said and heard in this society, and that is, what is centrally commanded here in other places is that being celibate, if you're single, is a command. Paul makes here, as Jesus would have affirmed as well, that outside of marriage, to someone of the opposite sex, Disciples of Jesus are called to be celibate. And that doesn't apply simply to young people who've never been married, restraining themselves. That applies to you if you're 85 years old. And you say, 85? Well, wait, yeah, I've had 85-year-old guys come trolling the women here at our church. <laughs> I, I'm, I am not joking. And I hear some people who are like that, you know, I was married and I'm a widow. It's okay now if I want to have sexual relations even though I'm married. I'm, I'm an adult and this is, well, that, you know, the Bible never gives us that, that caveat, never gives that out. Right? It applies to all of us at all ages. That's the command. It remains consistent throughout the New Testament and it has remained consistent through the centuries. You'll notice that it is only married people who are given permission. Only married people are commanded here in this text to have sexual intimacy. First seven verses. Further, those who are struggling with sexual temptation are told to marry in this text rather, rather than fulfill that desire outside of marriage. It appears that because some of the women who were married were withholding from their husbands because of these false teachers that some of the husbands have started going to the prostitutes. So Paul's dealing with that. But he's also dealing with the fact that um, there are other people that, that um, are facing temptation. They're single. They're struggling. And so Paul tells them in their life that they need to make the decision to, uh, to be celibate themselves. So he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, to flee Sexual immorality, he says, all sins we commit outside of our, uh, commit with our bodies in that way, we're sinning against ourselves. And so Paul says, this is a need that we have, but it's to be fulfilled, and if it is to be fulfilled at all, it's to be done in marriage, not outside of marriage. And so if you look in chapter 7, verse 36, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, he should go ahead and have sexual relationships with her. No, it says if he feels he ought to marry, he should do so if he wants. He is not sinning. And then back in chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Now to the unmarried, and that's probably talking about widowers here, and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should just go ahead and have sexual relations. No, he says they ought to what? Marry. That's the point. It's better to marry than to burn in passion. Now, I know this is strange news to many in our culture and some even within the church. We hear things like this of the 21st century. Or as these people were saying to Paul, 
back in chapter 6, you know, the body can do this, the body can do that, we can do kind of whatever we want. And Paul is saying, no, that's, that's not how we live. Today we hear it in terms sometimes like, well, pastor, this is the 21st century. Where have you been? Well, I would just say that while it is the 21st century, this was written 2,000 years ago, so we have had a long time to hear it and obey it. While the article I cited earlier was focusing on cohabitation, living together without marrying, it still tells us a lot. Evangelicals are less likely than Americans on the whole to cohabit, but still, a Pew Research survey in 2019 found that 58% of white evangelicals and 70% of black Protestants think cohabiting is okay if the couple plans to marry. What is more troubling is what Pastor Bill Henry, who is an Anglican rector in Pennsylvania, he said that in counseling at least 75 engaged couples, many of whom choose to live together or sleep together before they're married, he said they did not know they were sinning or they chose to ignore it. However you slice the stats, we all know that the culture has changed in many ways and that that is permeating the sexual lives of professing Christians. And that was true also in Corinth 2,000 years ago. But what we must do is not ignore the words and the warnings of the Lord Jesus Jesus held up the sanctity of marriage for men and women in Mark 10. He says, as from the beginning, right? A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be united to his wife. And then they shall become that one flesh. Jesus confronted cohabitation and sexual relationships outside of marriage as sinful. Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus telling her about the living water. She says, man, I want that. Jesus says, go call your husband. He says, well, uh, okay. He says, uh, he says, I don't have a husband. He says, no, you, you've had five husbands. And he says, the man you're now living with is not your husband. And so he's confronting her with the fact that this is wrong and she must repent of it to be his disciple. Or the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus said to her, and the man was not apparently around, and they mistreated her, but he told her, he forgave her, and he said, go and what? Sin no more. And Paul reiterates this same warning for us, warning Jesus gave to this woman at the well. When he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. So the idea is that you used to live like this, but you become followers of Jesus. And he says when that happened, you were washed, you were sanctified, which means you were made holy, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So it doesn't matter what century we're in or how old we are. If we find ourselves in that position of being single, were to heed the call of God to celibacy, and that's how they lived. They were people who lived this way in the early church. They became Christ-transforming culture. They became a counterculture to the culture around them. That's what we're to be. Ultimately, we're to be transforming the culture around us. 
Now, why does God draw these lines for us? Well, there are a lot of reasons, but let me just kind of briefly summarize them and wrap this up. Why does God say this to us if we're single, if we're to be celibate? He's just trying to spoil our fun in life? There are several reasons. One, these texts remind us that we belong to Him, not ourselves, and we're to honor Him with our bodies because the body does have an eternal future. These bodies are going to be raised, they have an eternal future. And I don't have time to go back and read 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. But the people that Paul's writing to, they believe the body didn't matter. It wouldn't endure. But the Word of God says the body does matter. It's going to be raised. And listen, spiritually, our bodies are already united to Jesus. And they're to be joined to Him above all in the fact that we honor Him in our bodies. So when marriage a few weeks ago, we saw... How does marriage preach the message of Jesus? As the husband leads the wife, and the wife, as he loves his wife, she submits in that beautiful tandem relationship. It shows the interaction of Christ with his church. And if you're a single person living a celibate life, out of conviction, this is how Christ wants you to live. You're saying, I'm married to Jesus Christ. He is my supply. He is sufficient. It is in him that I have eternal life. It is in him that I have my identity. And as I live my life in that way, I can become a witness to others around me that need Christ, that He is sufficient. And so that's one reason He gives this to us. Secondly, sexual relationships are not neutral relationships. You give part of yourself to the other person. And you can't get that back. Where Paul talks about being united to a prostitute, you become one with that person. Thirdly, this is wisdom for us to live this way because if you get involved sexually... You're not married. Your judgment often becomes skewed about that person. You will miss red flags. You will misjudge. You will rationalize and stay in unhealthy relationships and perhaps even marry someone totally outside of the will of God. God gives these parameters to protect us because this is one of life's most powerful drives and one of life's most vulnerable spots. And in that culture, as in ours, the woman is usually the one who's left scarred most deeply and most affected in other ways through these misuses of the body when it falls down. And by the way, for those of you who think cohabitation or sexual relations apart from marriage are good, it's a good test run. Well, only 47% of those cohabitations among these evangelicals resulted in marriage. And in all types of studies, both within the church and outside of the church, if you care about those things, show that cohabitation does not lessen the rate of divorce for those who do get married. It is just the opposite. It increases your chances of divorce. You may say this is a difficult way to live. It can be if you don't have the gift to be celibate in peace. But it is how he calls us to live. And he will help us fulfill this calling if he chooses for us to stay single. We all have areas of life where we must deny ourselves to follow him. Jesus says, if anybody will come after me, let him, what, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He set that standard. And he was tempted, remember Jesus was single. He was tempted in every point like us, yet without sin. So by settling this in our lives as a matter of conviction, that I will not cohabit, and I'll be celibate until married, or if I'm never married, we can go forth in freedom to serve him more fully, and again, we'll find Jesus is enough. 
And one other thing that study revealed is that many Christian singles are living that way in contrast to the culture. It found that cohabiting is less acute among those who are theologically conservative and attend church weekly. Church attendance and personal faith commitment make a huge difference. Well, I have a third point, but I'm out of time. So, I will probably put this third point, because I don't want to come back and try to preach a whole sermon on point three, in sort of a brief article for you. And um, this third point basically is talking about moving into marriage or remarriage is not just a simple matter the way the world treats it. We must look at it more deeply. So as we come to this time of commitment here at the end of the service today, I just want to say that living by faith and singleness can be an incredible journey. And the Lord will help those of you who wish to obey him along the way, trusting his plan and in his presence. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I just pray for sermons like this, that Lord, um, you would help us have ears to hear. And Father, I'm speaking quickly. I just pray that um, there's no tone of judgmentalism or anything of that nature, but of mercy and grace and kindness. Paul's dealing with people pastorally here that are struggling. He's not disfellowshipping them from the body of Christ. He, he's trying to help them live in the right way for your glory and for their good. And, and Lord, as we deal with this one particular area of life that's affecting some people in this room and watching online who are single, I just pray that, Lord, you would minister to them through your Holy Spirit. Help them to hear your voice, not mine, your word that is true. Help them to trust you enough, Lord, to follow you in this area of life, to be content in the situation that they're in. If you choose to change that, glory to God. If not, give them your peace. Help them to live with the commitment to celibacy, to point others to the fact that they have a higher relationship with the eternal God that is satisfying and that you're doing something in the Lord to make them perfectly whole and pure. And through that, Lord, invite others along by how they're living to be that counterculture, that counterweight to society to say the body really does matter and how we live really does matter. I pray as we sing now, Lord, to those who need to give their hearts to Jesus this morning, you grant them the grace just to call on you, to give them eternal life. Strengthen, Lord, singles who are struggling today and some that are lonely. Just help them to find your presence. Lord, some who may have struggled and fallen into sin, just, God, help them as they confess that to you, to rest in your grace and your forgiveness and to move forward from today with just a desire to protect that area of their life for you. Help decisions to be made, Lord, to commit to serve you and your cause with everything that they have. And I just thank you, Lord, that sometimes when people do that, you sovereignly put them together with other people in the trenches serving you, that you bring them together in that way, and sometimes you build a family out of that. Help us to be a church community that we need to be to these folks. We pray that single people will find a joyous home here at Concord that they can hang with us and find encouragement, hang with the married people, and that, Lord, there just be no 
Hint you no sense, Lord, of, of the other that would just be really a family together. And that we're able to submit to each other's collective wisdom as we follow you for your protection. Help our church, Lord, really to be the church. We so need your help, God. Help me to be the pastor you call me to be. And Lord, I pray that for those who need to follow you in baptism or in the membership of this church as we sing, that your will would be done today. In Jesus' name. Is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, and to know the saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. Thank you for your time. Be sure if you're a first-time guest to go by the bookstore out there. Remember the pounding in the commons for uh, Austin and uh, Ashley. Have a great rest of the day.